Are listening to the Freeform Rock Podcast with Mark Alden Taylor. Hey, this is Brian. I just want to say thanks to everybody for being so great. We feel really at home. Thanks for the present and thanks for making such a noise at the concert and giving us such a great time. We, I think we're going to move to Japan, by the way. All right. Hello, boys and girls. It's very nice to be in Japan. Thank you very much for um, the reception and the amazing welcome. <laughs> and from me and the boys from Queen, thank you very much. Sayonara. Hello, this is uh, John Deacon from Queen here in Tokyo, Japan. And I'd just like to say thank you, everybody, for coming to see us. And uh, we're just having a really nice time here. It's great fun. Uh, I'd like to say thank you very much for a great welcome in Japan. We really enjoyed our first concert at the Budokan. And uh, we hope to see you again very soon. I hope you enjoy the film too. Welcome to another edition of the Freeform Rock Podcast. Today, I have, we have a special guest with me and Lee. We have my old brother in podcasting, not Andrew Jacobs, Mr. Terrence Reardon. What's up, guys? Hey, how are you, my man? Uh, how do you do, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? The rock sponge here and the place to be and happy to be back with his brother, Mr. Frick-a-frack Mark Taylor. And, of course, the, <laughs> the, quacky, the quirky, quacky one, but I love him like a brother, Mr. Lee Gersman. How do you do? Uh, <laughs> that's what quirky people say. Huh? No, I'm I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Kicking a lot of recon ass, like the Marines would say. Hoorah! Are you, are you drinking vodka on the treadmill again? Uh, okay. Actually, no, not you. No, no. <laughs> Today I'm 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 totally sober. What? With all the stuff that's been going on, I I can't drink right now. It'll just it'll just. I don't have my fan on. I'm, I'm hot. You know, I, I'm, totally, gonna be boring today. No jokes from this weirdo. No. <laughs> if you believe that, you'll believe anything. Oh wow. But no, I'm not drinking. But cool. but I'm always funny. All right. We're going to go off on Andrew Jacobs, too, because Terrence wasn't on there with Dr. Fuck, so he, he yeah. gets to put his two cents into this now. Oh, that fucking turtle without a shell, man. That turtle yeah. without a fucking shell. I was nice did to the douchebag. Did, did, did he also block you for no reason? Oh, he did worse. He took a cheap oh. shot at me and took a cheap, you know, made yeah. fun of me and uh, brought up my father, saying I lived in my daddy's basement. There's a major difference. I take care of my father. He's elderly, 73 years old. Do I feel sorry yeah. that he lost his parents? Absolutely. But he, I think he's just quasi-jealous I still have a father, and he doesn't. You know, I feel bad for the yeah. guy, but, you know, I still have a father. My father my, is my Yoda in life, and he lets me know when I do great, lets me know when I screw up and shit. Mm-hmm. You know, and for Andrew to say, I mooch off the government newsflash, I actually am on a, mil- on a military pension plan. Not being bled off the government. I'm part of a military plan. And all I was to Andrew over the years was kind-hearted, nice, yeah. genteel, and so forth and so on. And for him oh, to yeah. take cheap shots at me, that was like the final straw. So I did a quasi-burial on my Quiet Riot episode where I depicted him as that big, fat duck uh, baby Huey in the old Casper. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah. I'm going to be a Cub Scout. Yeah, fucking. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I said, Andrew trying to join podcast. When he cries, I goes, that's what happens when he pisses off Terrence, uh, Mark, and uh, Lockdown yeah. Combat. Because he is, he did piss me off for the last time. And I finally did hear yeah. what he said about me on the earlier episode before you became a co-host, Lee, on the, yeah. on the Shade episode where he said, my reunions with Rock Metal Combat failed. Uh, newsflash, the third attempted reunion proved to be the keeper. The magic number was three. We did a oh, third yeah. attempt, and the third attempt was the biggest success because I was ready, I was armed, and I finally set some records straight on the uh, episode, which um, yeah. for me was kind of closure on that chapter of my life, but I'll always be a part of that of the show's history. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know... I went wanted to go in a different route than just like with Mark and I. He wanted to do different things. I wanted to do different things. I pretty much wanted yeah. to hard rock, metal, and classic rock. And uh, Mark wanted to throw in some uh, alternative, and I disdain alternative rock. But hey, we oh, agreed yeah. to dis- we agreed to disagree. And for that fat moron to say, "Oh, I got to the Black Sabbath in '93," I'm like. I got into Sabbath long before that because of my brother yeah. having the parent well, my sister's ex boyfriend having the paranoid album and heaven oh. and hell I heard back in um October ninety three because I stole it from an ex buddy of mine, which was Oh cool. okay. It's funny. But you know, Andrew Jacobs is like, Oh, I was too scared of that music. Oh da, 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 da. I'm like, Sheesh <laughs> Why the hell did I think of having that dipstick on the fucking show. Oh, yeah, Mark and I were trying to be nice to the dude. What thanks oh, yeah. Mark and I get? We got fucking gang-raped and flambéed by that dude. Am I right, brother? Yeah, the, the dude is lost. He, he's lost in his own head. And the thing is, you lose your parents doesn't mean doesn't give you a carte blanche to be a dick. I've lost my mom, I lost my grandma, I lost my grandpa, but I'm not a dick. Okay, don't be using excuses, man. Because you're a dick, you're a dick. That's it. <laughs> You're just a dick. In my case, all four of my grandparents are gone. My mother passed away uh, 11 years ago. My father's still with me at 73, and he's still healthy and kicking at 73. And you guys uh, have seen my Facebook posts of my dad and I. I hold him in high regard, you know? Oh, yeah. That's cool. At least Highly... I, at least I know when I'm being a dick, and I rectify the things. This guy just keeps huh. going off. He's like freaking Mr. Dickle Pickle or whatever he is, man. I don't uh, know. Yeah. <laughs> angry, depressed, miserable, and, uh, <clears throat> you know. And when Mark and I had our fucking rows, we had our rows, bro. But when him and I yeah. reconciled once and for all, thanks to my brother, Dr. Fuck, our brother, Dr. Fuck, I should say, yeah. he, um, you know, Mark and I are now back to being the best of buds again. Yeah, but yeah. we weren't doing it in the background. We weren't talking behind each other's back. We were talking to each other's faces. <laughs> yeah. the difference between we, him. Yeah. He, he blocks us and he talks shit about us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And at least you and I uh, got to sit down on Dr. Fuck's uh, People's Court Therapy and uh, got out of our system. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Fuck is. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Terrence, Mark, you two fucking bastards, cut the shit. Okay, Doc. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, Daddy. You... Yeah. Sorry, Lord. King, uh, King Ralph. I call him King Ralph. He's like the majesty. Well, he is a doctor. Mm. you got to listen to the doctor, you know, just like yeah. Uh, just like, uh, what's that band? Fuck. Damn it. Dr. Phil. Oh, you know the band, freaking uh, Doobie Brothers. You gotta listen to the doctor. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Classic from uh, their comeback album, Circle Cycles, back in 1989. That was a great yeah. album. I bought that album. 
Yeah, produced by Rodney Moore, the dude who was responsible for those classic 38 special records. Oh, those records, too. All right, man. They all kicked a lot of ass. So, Andrew Jacobs, go fuck yourself. Mark, I'm glad to be working with you once again. And Lee, I'm glad to have you back on. And both of us are saying it in the loosest of terms, because this is going to be a trans... uh, What's the word I'm going to use? Crossover. Crossover episode of Mark's show and my show. So this is called the Terrence and uh, the Terrence and Friends and Mark uh, Freeform Rock um, crossover of yeah. uh, of episode doing the first album by Queen. Which uh, who should do the backstory? Me because I'm more into, I have more of a knowledge in the, the band. You do the backstory. I had Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, okay. you're the human Wikipedia. Yes, I I, I literally uh, never really knew much about this album, so it's kind of like if I look at Wikipedia now. I'll I'll know <laughs> what it's right. no no actually I I looked but yeah yeah yours truly with the story behind the first Queen album it was released in July 1973 on EMI in the band's native England and it was released in September of 1973 here in the good old US of A on Electra Records and the band evolved from a group called Smile which featured guitarist Brian May and drummer Roger Taylor in 1970 Smile morphed into Queen when uh. The late, great Freddie Mercury, born Farouk Balsara to Persian parents in um, what's now known as uh, Tanzania, was known as Zanzibar in those days, Africa. And they went on with several bass players before, in 1971, they settled on their classic lineup when bass player John Deacon joined the fold and Queen was born. And they recorded their first album at Trident Studios in London, with an upcoming producer called Roy Thomas Baker, one of the staff engineers at Trident named uh, John Anthony, and the members of Queen themselves. And it was engineered by Roy Thomas Baker, Mike Stone, may he rest in peace, um, Ted Sharp, and Dave Henschel, who would later work with Elton John, um, Genesis, as a recording engineer or co-producer. So they had a lot of great... um, Queen had a lot of uh, people working with them on this album, and... This album was recorded in early 72, but it was delayed by a year because the band did not have a record company deal until uh, late 1972 when they got their deal with EMI in England. And then Jack Holtzman, the president of Electra Records, went to see the band at uh, the Marquee Club in London and signed them right on the spot and saying, quote, I've seen the future of music and it's a band called Queen. And on the reissue of the first Queen album, the remastered two-CD version that came out in 2011, they did some demos recorded at Delane Leia's studios in Wembley, produced by the band themselves. And one of those demos did appear on the first album, and they with some more overdubs, but I'll reveal which track it is when we get to it. And then there's also a B-side that was uh, left off the album due to time constraints on the original vinyl record. I first heard Queen, uh, if you've heard my uh, Jazz and News of the World episode, you know the history, but for those of you who don't uh, know on this uh, Freeform Rock show, um, I first heard them when I had the Queen Greatest Hits album in 1990, the recorded version of it, a dub of the Electra Records version, which featured Keep Yourself Alive on it. And then in April of 92, I first heard the first Queen album, the Hollywood Records reissue on a cassette, which had just one bonus track, which is the track we will finish the show talking about, which would be, uh, I don't want to tell you what it is, you'll have to find out what it is. 
and then oh. I got this. Then I got the CD on the 26th of December of 1992. One of the last two Queen CDs I needed for the collection at the time, simultaneously with the 1984 album The Works, which will be a future episode on my show, by the way, because hmm. I because I love that album as well. And a lot of people give it a bad rap for uh, the opening song on that album. But we're talking about early Queen. We're not talking about 80s Queen. But all Queen with the original four is good in my view. There were a couple of clunkers in future years, but this album, no clunkers. Who should go next on their backstory with this album? Go for it, Lee. Oh, thank you. Um, my backstory is, the only thing that I can say is I used to um, hear about Queen because I used to um, read magazines like Sixteen Magazine and ah. they talked about Freddie Mercury. And, um, button it up, Mark. Just kidding. Anyway. <laughs> 16 um, Magazine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's you, a... You uh, and the Scott there's, Bale there's picture. Another, there's another you, episode. You, there's another episode <laughs> reference that you're making, and let's, let's, let's cool it. No, All right, I was going to go to the Scott Bale reference. I'll, I'll leave it alone. Oh, 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 okay. Well, no, he's cool. You can, you can do that. Maybe not Donnie Osmond, but the Scott Bale is okay. Oh, the sticky pictures but, um, of Scott Bale. Okay. All right, go ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um... <laughs> Um, they talked about Freddie Mercury, and so I heard of him, and I had heard of Queen, but I, I didn't really hear their music, and then finally I heard some of their stuff, and uh, I forget exactly when I first heard Bohemian Rhapsody, um, but the album that I first heard that I got into was the game and I because um, we the the kids in school played it on our on the on the um, boom box the cassette and they played it so much I eventually bought it and then I liked some of it I didn't like all of it but then slowly but surely I then found a day at the races which I thought was really good and then I found a night at the opera which I didn't like as much, and and then that that was about the only Queen albums that I had. Borderline but, blasphemy, bro. Huh? Borderline blasphemy. Uh, not liking the Night at the Opera to me. That's a masterpiece. Well, um, I I have a very uh, I have weird opinions. I think a song should actually be good in order for me to like it. Ooh. Oops, sorry. <laughs> but, but 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 no, I mean um. It's, it's just that I like the heavier stuff on Day at the Races, and I thought that that Night at the Opera was a little bit, uh, a little bit too normal for me. <laughs> but, Understandable. Um, oh, yeah. But then again, you might, you might think that air is too normal for me, and I might need to be re-gassed. I'm kidding. Mm -hmm. but, but anyway, the um, thing is, I heard um, some of Queen 1 and Queen 2, and um, I dug him. And, oh, I did have Sheer Heart Attack. That was a great album. And but Amen. anyway, yeah. But but every time that I heard, um, the only song that I really heard much off of the first Queen album was Liar, because one of my friends who had the album played that for me. He said it was great, and so okay. And then it wasn't until today that I actually heard the whole thing. I heard on the radio 
keep yourself alive and um, stuff like that, but pretty much it's my first listening of it. And I'm surprised that it, you know, didn't get as popular, or maybe it has, but I, I don't know. But it's a good album. It's probably um, maybe one of, one of my favorites. Yeah, I, I, I got into Queen like in the, when the, the game came out, like you. I loved Another One Bites the Dust. And then when I got it, you had Dragon oh, yeah. Attack. You had first oh, yeah. great songs on that. I had it on tape. And then all of a sudden, when I wanted to start buying all their shit, it was all gone in America. So I had to wait till Hollywood. Re I bought the greatest mm. hits as an import for thirty bucks on CD. Yeah, my I don't think it had the my version didn't have "Keep Yourself Alive" on it because I oh, yeah. that's a song I was looking for for years, and I wrote that in my notes and I couldn't find that album and that song. Huh. I just love that song. It was always played on radio, rock radio here. I couldn't find that song. I lo always loved the riff. I always loved the way Freddie sounded and the band sounded. So when the Hollywood Records released their CDs, I, I was at Tower Records. I bought that. I bought Sheer Heart Attack. And, um... Uh, fuck, I just had it in my head. It's like, Sheer Heart Attack and News of the World. I bought those three, and then every week I go back and buy three more Queen CDs in my paycheck. Just wasting my paycheck. Oh. And then, you know those those uh, CD cases where they're, you take them out of their case and put them in a vinyl slip for your car? Yes. You don't leave those in oh, the okay. sun because you know what happens? They melt. <laughs> they melt into the, the oh. vinyl and it ruins your CD. So I had a whole key. I lost all my Queen CDs in the, in the heat wave of 1993. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I Since like, I was in New England, my CD survived. Yeah, not, oh, not yeah. in California. <laughs> they, they melted to the covers. They still played... But I, I know you're like me, Terrence. Things have to look perfect for you to keep them. And they looked yes. so shitty, I couldn't keep them. I gave them away. <laughs> I, I started rebuying them again. So I was like, ah, oh, fuck. I ruined, like, yeah. Megadeth, Metallica. I had to replace a lot of CDs because they were just melted. And there was, like, little grooves on the back of the CD. But for some reason, they played. But I just couldn't stand looking at them. <laughs> Good lord. You know what, Mark? You should have done like me because back then I would make, I would have the CD for the house, and then I would record a copy of of it onto a cassette tape and listen to it on my Walkman. And when I was in the car, my brother or my father who would be playing bullshit uh, soft rock schlop shit, yeah, and but, or um. But in the car, I had, I, was, I had a pull out CD player, so I couldn't play cassettes in the car. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, since I went all CD or nothing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, you know, back then, you know, if I couldn't get the CD right away, I'd make a recorded copy on the cassette tape until I could buy the CD. Yeah. And then oh, once yeah. I bought the CD of the first Queen album, I still had the recorded copy for when I went to school, and I just had the CD for the house. But then I would just bring the CD artwork to school with me and make uh, mini posters of the album sleeves. But I could tell you, oh. I've never owned Hot Space or the Flash soundtrack. I really didn't care for those two CDs for some reason. I heard Each album had their... Each album had their moments for me, but uh, Hot Space, you can tell, is from the 1982 frame. Yeah, I, I didn't like that. I love the works, though, and I love freaking uh, uh, Different Kind of Magic, The Miracle. Freaking, that album is great. It's like getting yeah. back to hard rock on The Miracle. It's so yeah. sad that I didn't know when Freddie was recording that album that he got diagnosed with AIDS. It's like, damn. Yeah. Yeah, and he was denying uh, being bored with touring, but we know now, with the benefit of hindsight, that he was uh, dying from um, AIDS at the time. That's why he's, you know, at the time he was saying, I'm, I just don't feel like touring right now. 
no one knew his uh, predicament, which we'll talk about later. But, um, you know, it's interesting that, you know, you started the Queen. You guys were listening to Queen before me because this is a very interesting story. I was barred from listening to Queen until my parents divorced because my mother hated Freddie Mercury because of his, uh, how do I put it, his lifestyle. Yeah. I had no idea who was gay till I got into Queens. <laughs> like, my mom used to call him Freddie Faggot. Dang. Hmm. Well, because he, um, he sang about having sex with women, so I don't know. So did George Michael, though. But <laughs> yeah. but then my um, then my father thankfully uplifted the band, and um, once I started buying the CDs in '92, as I said earlier, this was one of the last that I bought initially when I was collecting their catalog. You know, because I had the recorded version of the Greatest Hits album from Elektra, which did have "Keep Yourself Alive" on it, and after that, I just went off on a queen spree once their albums were reissued, just like you, Mark. I went off on a queen spree when uh, the albums were reissued in America. Yeah, I wasted my mm. whole checks for weeks just to get all those. I had to wait once every two weeks to choose which album because I was on a reward system by my dad, and he goes, one disc this week. I go, oh, boy. So it was like being having a gun to your head trying to pick one, you know. And I wish, so I, didn't, I, wish oh. I didn't give my import Queen's Greatest Hits away. That would probably be worth money right now. <laughs> uh, they reissued it, actually, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. It's called Queen Greatest Hits, the We Will Rock You edition, which is basically Greatest Hits 1 with three bonus tracks of I'm In Love With My Car, Under Pressure Live, and Tie Your Mother Down Live. I just remember going mm-hmm. into a Federated, and the guy broke out to sell me a stereo. He broke out Queen's Greatest Hits and put on another one, Bites of Dust, and you just hear the bass pumping on that. And I go, fuck, I want this. Can I have that CD, too? And he goes, no. And I go, crap, you gave me other CDs, mm. but he wouldn't give me that one. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Mm. So let's begin this love fest with uh, Keep Yourself Alive. The first thing anyone ever heard from Queen, what I love is the tape dropping of the guitar coming in. And that's a real effect, because when a lot of people first heard the song, they thought their stereos were defected with that... And you could tell Queen were heavily influenced by Zeppelin and all those bands. And um, the song was written by Brian May in the early days of Queen. And according to uh, uh, Queen website I'm reading right now, this was one of the first songs recorded at that Delane Leia original demo before the album version was recorded. And Brian May said we did the first recording ourselves and we had to... And it has something which the single never had, but they pressured us to redo all the tracks, and they redid Keep Yourself Alive with Rory Thomas Baker, and Brian May did not like that version initially. He was very unhappy with it. So they went back in and redid it again. It was a bit more true to the demo, but they could not get the um, feel of the demo, and we um, kept remixing it until they got the proper mix that, um, you know, that's the one they put out, and on top of that... The song is just amazing. The band played it live on most of their tours, except for the Hot Space Tour. Go figure. <laughs> and it was brought back on the Works Tour. And the song was just amazing live. I mean, they played most of the song live on up through the 1979-79 Jazz Tour. But on the uh, Game Tour, they did a little jam at the beginning, and then they went into the song, and then into the drum solo, then into a 15-minute solo spot for Roger Taylor and Brian May on their drums and guitars, respectively. And then ending the solo and stuff, and it's just an amazing, an amazing song. I don't get sick and tired. But classic rock has play, radio has played it many times. There's Doctor Fuck would say fuck classic rock radio. I concur, but at least this is one of the songs you rarely hear these days. And this song is just amazing. I don't know what else to say about Keep Yourself Alive, but a killer kick-ass tune which hasn't been said before. 
Mark, what do you think, brother, of this classic track? I'll let Lee go first. Go ahead, Lee. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, I don't mind it. It's all right, but as far as their um, heavy stuff is concerned, this it sounds a little bit too much, a little bit too formulaic, as if... Um, it, it, it was You're out of your fucking like, mind. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm probably gonna um, um, unintentionally be doing this throughout the, the review. But um, <laughs> you want honesty? Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's, it's a little bit like, like formulaic, like as if they were trying to make it a hit. But I mean, it is a, it is a pretty good song. I, I don't dislike it, but it's just. I like some of the other songs on this album better, and and really? so this the, this one's not really my favorite. This is like from the opening riff, you know, this thing is gonna kick ass. I love this song with the break and the drum, so, the mini drum solo by Roger Taylor. It just this song is just fucking queen perfection. I love this song, man. And pre- people thought that they were using synthesizers on this album, and it wasn't. Nope. In fact, uh, you know, they re-recorded the song for a single release in uh, 75, but it was never released until the Queen debut reissue in 91 on Hollywood, and then it was re-released again on the deluxe edition of A Night at the Opera in 2011 on CD. I just just love this song. I was looking for it for years until they re-released everything. I was like, yeah! (laughs) Fucking, you and I agree, Mark, that this song fucking rules. Yeah, it's a perfect Queen rocker, man. And it was also the opening song. It was um, also the first single release from the album um, worldwide, and it didn't do shit in England, and it got a lot of airplay on American rock radio, but wasn't a big hit. But then again, some of the best songs weren't hit singles. Fuck classic. Fuck rock. Fuck radio. You know, I don't even listen to radio. I got my iPod iPod on shuffle or listening to podcasts in my car now. (laughs) Amen to that, bro. You go into the next track, bro, because we're all taking turns on introducing each track. All right, and then we get to the songs we're going to play. I'm going to do a slight pause so I can put them in the middle of the thing for for my show. (laughs) And 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 I'll just leave. You go ahead. All right, and then we get into the next track, Doing All Right. So what do you think of this one, Lee? Oh, um... It's it's all right, but it, it it sounds a little bit more like the group America huh? or Seals and Crofts would do it. Huh? Feeling You're all right. Yeah. You're Ooh, fucking crazy, baby. Feeling <laughs> all right. What fucking you know? ever? What fucking <laughs> ever? <laughs> but 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 I mean, but I mean, you know, I'm, I mean, it's. It's not a bad song, but it's to me it's a little bit um, like a little a little bit more like bread or well or or, or, or the Eagles, you know, kind of kind of like well, that's a good they, they could have done it. They could have done it, and and it would have been an improvement over what they do. Oh, but but that's probably about but but no, I mean I don't hate it. In fact, I almost picked the song as one of my favorites because i thought there was a heavy part in the middle i forget whether there was there is. Uh, oh, okay actually, oh huh i'll actually correct you yes there was a heavy section yeah. in fact um yeah well then actually i'm going to change what i say and i'm going to say i actually like the heavy part and i like the fact that they tripped me up that way by doing the mellow and then the heavy so i kind of fucked myself over with my first review but I would say though that if the song had stayed, 
yes. mellow throughout the whole thing, then I then I would have said what I said about seals and cross. But because okay. it did have the the um, other part in it, that's partly why I like the albums because of the changes. It's just yes. I I couldn't find that that middle part um, when I was you know so so in so this time um, you guys are right in 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 critiquing me. Right. This might be the only time you will be, but I mean, um, <laughs> I mean, you you can critique me later. I just won't believe that's a good idea. But no, it's all good. <laughs> so, what do you think, Terrence? Oh, okay. I get to correct. I it's what <laughs> I used to say on Rock Metal Combat. I get to school your ass, Lee. <laughs> okay, okay. Take him to just school. Like, Take him uh, to school. <laughs> I will indeed. I forgot to mention the first song, Keep Yourself Alive, was written by Brian May. This song was, too, written by Brian May with Tim Staffel when they were in the band Smile. This was recorded, this was originally done by Brian May, Roger Taylor, and their band Smile on a demo as a single. And the Smile version is okay, but when Freddie Mercury got a hold of it, he sang it ten times better and put more feel into it and... The song in the harmonies to me reminded me the slow sections in the harmonies reminded me more of Yes than they did America, you know, with the because Yes were oh, okay. bands were doing the harmonies and things. And Roger Taylor in an interview with Redbeard said on the first album we were trying to blend the vocal harmonies of what Yes were doing with the crunch, brutal heaviness of what Led Zeppelin were doing. And this is actually a perfect mm. example of that during mm. the verses and the you know the, the harmonies and. John, uh, Freddie Mercury kind of singing like John Anderson during the should be waiting for the sun ding 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 and then all of a sudden they get into the mm. heavy Zeppelin riffage of da 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 in fact this song was played live pretty much quite a few times in the early days and then the last time they played it was on the uh, day of the races tour at Earl's Court and that version to me was an amazing version Freddie couldn't sing the falsetto part passage so instead he had to modify it to sing in a lower bit and they extended that jam section that heavy riff thing and in fact they also did it at the end of the song and brian may just rocking out on that riff with the delays and shit and roger taylor and john deacon going bunk what a this song is amazing studio version live version either way song is excellent doing all right is all right in my book an excellent tune the original from uh, smile was so-so, eh, but Freddie Mercury put a stamp on it and made it kick a lot of ass. Am I right, Mark? Yeah, this song, it starts off slow and it kicks ass in the middle. It has a cool crunch. I love this song. The band is on fire on this song. I love it when a song starts off slow and it just hits you in the freaking face. You know, I freaking love it. It's a great track, man. Yeah. And now you go into the Freddie Mercury composed Great King Rat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Mark? So, I think this song is freaking awesome. I said, love this song, heavy for the time, kicks ass. Roger Taylor is the star on this song. His drumming is just freaking insinuary, man. It just fucking kicks ass. The band is tight. May's solo is awesome. Has a cool break, then a little acoustic, and then jams back in. And May and May at the end, wow, how he just keeps going off on his guitar. Freaking kicks ass. What do you think about it, Terrence? Uh, Great King Rat, I love it. written by Freddie Mercury, and he actually wrote this on the guitar. Did you know that? No. He wrote it on the guitar, one of the few songs he did write on guitar. And it begins with Brian May's uh, heavy guitar fiddling into this 
heavy gallop thing. They were doing the gallop thing before Iron Maiden. The dun 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 dun. dun. Everyone said, you know, Maiden uh, overkilled the gallop. Uh, Queen and Zeppelin were doing it before Maiden. Great King Rat died today, born on the 21st of May, died syphilis 44 on his birthday. Every second word he swore, he was a son of a whore, always wanted by the law. Pretty Mercury knew how to write some great lyrics. And this song is just an amazing, I love the way it flows. And also, I like the way it breaks down to the, um, you know, now listen all you people, put out the good and keep the bad. Don't you believe all you read in the Bible, you sinners get in line. That section where they break down. Just an amazing song. And then, of course, I think he was referencing to, um, you know, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in this section. The great Lord, before he died, knelt sinners by his side, and you said you're going to realize tomorrow. And then it just goes into this little mini acoustic thing. And then the band comes back in with the, the riff and rock, and then they rock out again with the and then it ends with uh, Brian May and Freddie Mercury's guitar and voice respectively going higher and higher seeing who would hit the highest note and before the song ends with a Roger Taylor drum solo fading into the distance and did you know they played this on the works tour on the on the first leg of the works tour in 84 Mark? No I didn't they did it with Stone Cold Crazy as a medley, and they played the diddly, 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 that section, and then the guitar solo, and then Freddie Mercury sang the last verse, and then it went right into a keyboard solo by their touring keyboardist, which then blended into one Brian May guitar solo. Amazing song. They should have played it in full back in 84. I would have fucking paid money to see that. Oh, yeah, the tour didn't hit America. Paul Prenner, that asshole. But I love Great King Rat. One of my favorite songs on the first side of the album. What does Mr. Lee think about this kick-ass ditty? I really enjoy it a lot. It's one of my favorite songs on here. I totally agree with you. And um, it's a very weird tune. But I like weird songs. And it it doesn't sound like Bohemian Rhapsody, but it has like the intricate kind of thing that he was doing when he was doing stuff like Bohemian Rhapsody. Like, you could tell he was being inventive with melodies. Of course, this song is far better than Bohemian Rhapsody, but, I mean, it's a very intricate um, kind of song that um, I wish that they had continued doing more songs like this later in their career. Interesting. And, uh... We all agree my uh, Great King Rat is an amazing song, and I will begin the song that ends side one of the original vinyl record, My Fury King, which begins with uh, another uh, tape drop-in of Brian's guitar, and then going into this fast da -da 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 -da, and Roger Taylor hitting these unearthly shrieks. That's Roger Taylor, by the way, doing those high notes at the beginning of the song, Mark. It's not Freddie Mercury. Nice. That's Roger Taylor hitting, you think, can he hit any higher? And he hits that fucking extreme high note. And Freddie Mercury sings the first section. In the land where horses born with eagle wings and honey bees have lost their stings. They're singing forever. Him singing that part in a falsetto voice. And it works so brilliantly. My fear he can, can see things. He rules the air and turns the tides there that are not there for you and me. Oh yeah, he guides the winds. And then um, Roger Taylor um, uh, hits a high note again. And he goes, you know. Then came the man to savage in the night to run like thieves and to kill the knives to take away the power from the magic hand to bring about the ruin of the promised land. And this song actually... And did you know that Freddie Mercury changed his last name to Mercury after writing this song? 
Hmm. Hence the oh, yeah. hence hence the reference to Mother Mercury on the uh, towards the end of the oh. lyrics. Oh yeah. And the inspiration for the song came from Robert Browning's poem The Pied Piper. Huh. While the lines in there, dogs outran our fellow deer, and honeybees have lost their stings, and horses were born with eagles' wings, are quoted directly from the poem. And according yeah. to the original, and according to the original, one of the first bass players of Queen, Barry Mitchell, Freddie was writing "My Fairy King" while he was still in the band. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. And my dad's this, favorite um, poet was Robert Browning, and the Pied Piper Hamlin was a poem that I grew up with. You know, he used to read it to us yeah and this song this song is just amazing you know they didn't perform it live that many times a live version did surface just a second here I got the CD here on the Queen on Air BBC thing from their first BBC session in February 73 with a different lead vocal from Freddie and I like the vocal track on that better than the album but I still enjoy the album version of uh, My Fairy King. I listened to it recently in anticipation for doing this collaboration with you guys, and uh, I still don't get sick and tired of this track. Um, what do you think of it, uh, Lee? You go first. Oh, I like this even better than Good King Rat. This is like, um, if there could be an improvement on Good King Rat, it's it, it was done on this, as if it's even more weird, but it's also more consistent. Um, which sounds like a contradiction in terms, but it's really a well-done song, and the words are um, kind of a little bit, like, to me, a little bit psychedelic. Like, I'm thinking, even though I'm not drinking, if I was drinking, this would be a song I would hear, because this has a really good kind of, um, <laughs> here I am alone in my room, I'm blocking my door, I'm looking at the pink elephants, leave me alone, I'm listening to the song kind of vibe to it but that's the kind of thing that i did interesting now you go ahead uh mark yeah this album is not letting up so far this is a rocking song with it shows off uh freddie's range uh may signature guitar sound is on display in here and love the piano perfect queen song that's all you got on uh, Great King Ray. You don't have anything else to add, bro? That's a great freaking song, dude. Just what you guys you guys said everything I could say about it. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Very good. Now, Mark, you have the honor of flipping the vinyl over to side two. And Liar. It, and it was my fairy king we were talking about, right? Yeah, my fairy king <laughs> okay. just finished, and now we flip all over right. to side two. Okay. And you begin the song. Side two. All right, before we get into Liar, this is a song that you picked, Terrence, to play on the show. So here's Liar by Queen on the Freeform Rock Podcast.
Okay, that was Liar on the Freeform Rock Podcast. Why'd you pick that track, Terrence? Uh, the opening song on side two of the first Queen album, Liar. What else can I say about it? I just love the way it flows. It begins with Roger Taylor with the cowbell. Into this heavy, hard rocking tune. And it just has that excellent hard rocking crunch. And Freddie Mercury wrote the song himself again. And I have sinned, dear father. Father, I have sinned. Try and help me, father. Won't you let me in? Liar, nobody believes me. When I first heard a snippet of this on the queen the magic ears documentary which aired on vh1 after freddie mercury passed i said this is a fucking kick-ass song which album is this on and then when i got the first heard the first queen album a month later i said motherfucker i gotta hear this first queen album so i put on liar after hearing side one i said holy shit this song just fucking rocks and it's just so heavy so kicking ass and freddie's vocal on it just fucking rules and did you know that this song was released as a single very briefly in uh, the U.S. and it didn't chart for shit? Damn, no I didn't. Yeah, it was brief. It was released as a single, heavily edited down to three minutes from the six plus minutes oh, on the God. album. That's a travesty. It is a travesty. And the song, you know, in its full six and a half minute version is just so amazing. Roger Taylor's drumming, Brian May's guitar playing, Freddie Mercury giving the vocal performance of a lifetime, and John Deacon's bass solo. A lot of people don't give him the respect as a bass player. I mean, he's he was the major reason why I did wind up embracing bass playing because you know he might have been not seen like a Flea or a Getty Lee, but he could p- play bass solos when he saw fit. You know, of course, on later albums he would do more bass soloing, but he started as a rhythm guitar player and in bands before Queen. But his bass playing made the song the kick-ass thing that it was and they did play the song up through the news of the world tour and on the news of the world performance from tour performance from houston 77 brian may broke a guitar string so they had a john deacon and roger taylor had to improvise a little hi-hat bass thing until brian had to switch guitars to pick up where he left off and they just jammed especially during that guitar solo section they just extended like two or three minutes where they're just jamming their asses off and the way the song ends with that big finish you're just like Wow. You know, this proved Queen could do hard rock. They could do any genre and get away with doing anything. They could have killed uh, someone on record and get away with it. I would have bought that shit up a long time ago as well. What do you think of Liar? This song is the best song in the album, by the way, in my opinion. What do you think, Mark? Uh, I think this is this is my favorite song off the album. Frick, it kicks ass. It's the song I would have picked if you didn't pick it. Because Lee picked three songs originally, and then you came on, and then I split it to two to two. But he didn't pick this one, so I was going to pick this one because this song needs to be heard. It's so awesome. I, it's a great song. It's got a hard rock crunch. May's guitar and Taylor's drums with Deacon's bass, like you, you said about his bass playing. It's just incredible on here. It's a perfect queen, queen rocker, and the break is so awesome. And this is the longest song on the album. And back in, what, 1973, this is unheard of. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, just like the doors broke through with Light My Fire. These guys came with it after. <laughs> so, nice. You're damn right. What do you think about it, Lee? Yeah, well, this is <laughs> the kind of song that I should say that is kind of cliched, and then I got bored with it, but I can't. I actually like it more each time I hear it, and it's um, a really good song. It's one of those few examples of a song that are like the typical um, 
famous or, or should be a, the famous song by a group that actually makes sense because it it's it's actually worthy of that accolade i um i think it's a i mean it's not my very very favorite i i do kind of like um the my fairy king a little more but 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 this is an example of one of Freddie Mercury's really good songwriting styles. Do you like and, My Fairy King and, and I dig it. Because you drink a lot of vodka and you see fairies flying around your head? <laughs> I said pink <laughs> elephants. I didn't say fairies. Well, are they pink fairy elephants? <laughs> uh, did you peek in my window? <laughs> I don't no, know. we didn't, Lee. We didn't peek shit. Andrew Jacobs okay, is okay. looking right now. He's going, I see pink there, elephants. <laughs> there, I see pink elephants. Is he the guy who is scared of when I say something different? Like pe peanut butter and feathers instead of peanut butter and jelly? And then he should wear it on his pants instead of put it in his mouth? Oh, yeah. Hey Terrence, when you do this, <laughs> when you do this yeah. on your show, you should put in the yes. the lion from Bugs Bunny. Oh, how many lumps do you want? Oh, about three or four. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. This is Mark on videotape, right now, guys. You just brought that up. Roll the footage, Daddy O. <laughs> That's Andrew Jacobs before he had uh, his uh, animal change. He started out as a he started out as a. Uh, Lion, then he was surgically trans transformed into a turtle, into a duck, then he was transformed into a human, and now he was transformed into a turtle. <laughs> so he started actually, he sorry, actually, he got transformed into a seals and crops lover. <laughs> oh my god, that shit's the enemy. <laughs> seals and crops, they fucking suck. Oh god. Anyways, uh, we digress. People, um, who wants to go into the night comes down first? Go for it, Lee. Okay, um, I, this song kind of reminds me of the Moody Blues question because there's a fast part in the beginning and a fast part at the ending of it. And the middle part of both that song question and this one, I'm not particularly a fan of. I mean, I can get through it. It's sort of like I'm waiting for a bus, and I know it's going to come soon, so I just wait. But but the beginning part of it and the ending part of it, the the fast part, I do like. So I, I do think it's um, it's all right. But um, I actually um, this would probably be my least favorite song on the album. You know, Lee, you're going to be very shocked, but I have to agree with you. This, I love, I like the tune, but it's my least favorite on this album. And then, did you know that the version on this album uh, is the original demo from 1971? It's the only song in the album not recorded at Trident Studios because they tried to re-record it during the making of the album. Hmm. But the band felt that further takes were inferior to the original demo. And this song is decent. It's not my favorite, but it's not the worst thing I've ever heard from Queen either. Um, oh, definitely and, not. Definitely you know, not. Some of the shit on uh, Hot Space is much worse than yeah. body language. Oh, my oh, God. Even, some of that's worse than Xanadu. Oh, oh, and I like some Xanadu <laughs> songs. <laughs> well, because ELO's on there, man. Uh, yeah. I mean, actually, even though I'm not admitting it, I, I'm admitting it. Uh, you're yeah. admitting it? 
And um, the the line "Lucy was high and so was I" was a reference to the Beatles' "Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds." Did you know that, guys? No, I didn't. Um, I didn't, but um, I can believe it. Yeah, because I'm reading on a Queen website here uh, some of the things about the first album, and this song was not played live. I mean, I could see why. And this, along with, uh, as I have the remastered CD here, uh, Keep Yourself Alive, Night Comes Down, Great King, Rat, and Liar, so far, are the demos that are, other demos that are bonuses on the two-CD remaster of the first album from 2001, 2011, sorry. And uh, this song, like I said, not the best thing I heard from them, but not the worst thing either. It's a, it's a good song. I, I'll listen to it. I won't skip it. Mark, what do you think? Yeah, I won't skip it, but it's not my favorite on the album. I agree with both of you. It, I like the the cool acoustic intertwined throughout the and Brian's uh, like electric guitar intertwined through the acoustic. It's pretty cool, but it's kind of boring and it's not the best song on the album. Hey, amen to that, bro. Mark, you go into the next track. Okay, the next track is one of uh, Lee's picks. Modern Times Rock and Roll. So here's Modern Times Rock and Roll on the Freeform Rock Podcast. Okay, that was Modern Times Rock and Roll. Why'd you pick that song, Lee? Oh, well, um, it's interesting because Roger Taylor only had one song on the album, and it's the shortest song. But when you hear it, um, it, it doesn't sound that short. It sounds like a full, really powerful song. And I was like, wow. It's kind of like as if he was the guy who maybe at that time spoke little but when he did speak he he had a lot of stuff to say like as if he knew 
all he needed was to put on one great song and that would prove what he could do and so I do like a lot of um, Roger Taylor's songs in Queen there are a few I don't but but I would say if I were to do a mixtape and I did Queen songs and I only picked Roger Taylor's songs I wouldn't be too upset over that I, I, I would be able to think that it would be a decent mix but um, yeah this this song for the close to two minutes it it's it's a really good powerful song um, dare I say it's better than some of Kiss oh. yeah. especially now I agree <laughs> so what do you think oh, about oh definitely now what do I think of Modern Times of Rock and Roll yeah. I'm about to tell you the song is fucking amazing. This is prototype punk before punk was even... This was three years before punk. And Roger Taylor wrote and sang this. This is his first lead vocal on a Queen album. Wouldn't be his last. He'd have a lead vocal or two per album for the next eight, almost ten years. And this song is just a very fast-paced. Had to make the do with a worn-out rock and roll scene. The old bop is getting tired. Need a rest. Modern times, rock and roll. What a killer fucking, you know, prototype punk before punk, you know. This is more punk than the fucking Stooges. I know, I'll be blasphemed for saying that, but Roger Taylor was doing oh. punk before the punks. And, you know, there's two different live versions on the BBC uh, two CD set from uh, 2016. One from December 73 and then one from uh, April 74. And did you know on the live version, and then two live versions on Queen at the Rainbow 74, did you know that Freddie Mercury sang it live on the uh, Queen 2 and Share Heart Attack tours? No, I didn't. Those versions are awesome. If you don't have uh, Live at the Rainbow U2, I urge you to seek that, especially the two-CD version. Fucking Queen live when they were just hungry and pissed off and ready to take over the world. Oh, modern, wow, time, okay. modern Times Rock and Roll fucking <clears throat> love that tune. Nice, yeah. Mark. I love this song and what he was saying. It's like so short, but it seems so long. It's like uh, Foreigner's Long, Long Way From Home. You know, they're like under two minutes, but they freaking pack yeah. a wall up. This song freaking kicks ass, and I've always loved Roger Taylor's voice. I think he did one song on uh, Sheer Heart Attack I didn't really care for, but uh, oh, this is really good. And I, I love, I'm in love with my car. I love it when he sings, he gives him like a grit and a, like a metal, like a metal hard rock thing. And uh, this was like very, very metal for the time. You know, this is like kind of Black Sabbath, Sabbath-y with some of the... The bass lines that Deacon's doing on here and the crunch, freaking really good, man. So if you're not into the, like the later Queen albums, you thought they were too soft, you guys should really pick up Queen One. And I'm talking to you, Ian Wadley. You should check this album out if you're listening to this podcast or visual podcast. Check it out, man. <laughs> yeah, because uh, remember he was on. Um, I did an episode with him on the game Rock Metal Combat, and he yeah, basically that. went off on. Um, you know, one of the songs on the jazz album. And on top of that, he, you know, he could not get into Queen like Dr. Fuck and I could. Because, you know, this album is one of Dr. Fuck's favorite uh, 70s Queen albums. And his least favorite of the 70s was Day of the Races. I can't imagine why. Yeah, I, I like all yeah. Queen except really Hot Space and uh, uh, Flash. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was only, I mean... You know, even Don't Lose Your Head sounds better than Body Language now. I used to hate Don't Lose Your Head. I now fucking enjoy that tune. That was my least favorite Roger Taylor Penn song, but not anymore. I remember looking for the Iron Eagle soundtrack, and then I uh, 
Iron Eagle soundtrack just to get that song. And then the, the soundtrack to Highlander. And they're both on freaking A Kind of Magic. I go, this is like two soundtracks in one. That's <laughs> good. Nice. Uh-huh. One Vision was on there, and so was all the songs from uh, Highlander. I go, I didn't know they freaking, why didn't they, they just made an album out of it and put it on the soundtrack. That's like, damn. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah. They, you know, Queen, uh, Queen are one of the best bands in the world, and they're in my top five favorite bands of all time, by the way. That's why I decided to join you guys. I just I just remember uh, freaking uh, the one vision where he goes fried chicken. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> yeah, they they did that as a goofy ending. Freddie Mercury did that with a sense of humor, and then the beginning of that track. We'll talk about this on a future episode. Freddie Mercury doing the God works in mysterious ways was slowed down the actual recording, but during the recording goes God works in mysterious ways. And hey, people around the world, I'm looking forward to those glorious days once again. Yeah, it's oh. freaking. I love Queen, man. It, they it, had a sense of humor, unlike many bands. Yeah, freaking. Like uh, I was watching uh, Aerosmith live at Donington last night, and like he's seeing uh, uh, Steven Tyler was changing the word "dream," you know, "cream on, cream on." <laughs> mm-hmm. like, nice. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, freaking. That and, guy um, still could sing, man. Damn. Yeah. Well, oh, there's yeah. only few. All, there's few singers who, in their elderly age, they can still sing. Steven Tyler. Glenn Hughes, Dennis DeYoung, Paul Rogers, David Gilmore. They still have their singing voices intact because they took care of their voices like fine-tuned machines, unlike uh, Paul Stanley, who now sounds like he's about to strangle a goat on a goat and eat. Yeah, I, oh, I listened wow. to Dr. Fuck's new video about where he thinks he lost his voice when he did that solo uh, concerts. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. He did. And... Um, and of course, don't forget Roger Waters' lip sync and everything nowadays, which pisses me off. Uh, oh wow! Uh, Freaking Britney Spears. <laughs> yeah, going to a Britney Spears tactic—that's—I lose my respect for you right there and then. You either sing it and drop it down to, to keys, to you can sing it like Elton John in a deep baritone voice, but don't fucking mind the high notes. That's blasphemy. Freddie Mercury would never would have resorted to that tactic. No, he probably would have retired. <laughs> yeah, he would have retired before. Yeah. Uh, he had a, in fact, he used to make a mockery out of lip syncing on um, certain shows. He would, you know, when they, when Queen did Saturday Night Live in '82, Freddie's voice was fried, but he did it anyway. Yeah, Tommy Shaw could still sing too, and so can Sammy Hagar. Oh yeah. So those guys take care of their voices. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I hate to say it, and I know I'm about to be tarred and feathered by uh, Van Halen fans, but I, you know, reluctantly, I will have to agree with you, Mark, that Hagar still has a singing voice intact, unlike. Uh, Diamond Dave. I love Diamond Dave, don't get me wrong, but his voice is gone. Yeah, D- David, um, David, throughout the years, really, I've saw old videos of him. He really messed, really off-key a lot anyways. It's just his persona on stage, and now he doesn't have those high kicks and jumping over the, the freaking drum uh, drum kits anymore. He's kind of just uh, sitting there doing little like breakdancing moves on a piece of wood on stage now. It's kind of the fo- shadow of his wow. former self. Yeah, he looks kind of like an old Frank Sinatra type thing now. Yeah, but I, I saw them in 2013, and I, I enjoyed it. So they were really good, even though we messed up now, some songs. So. Absolutely. Now let's go, go back to the record, the album, and we go into uh, my my other favorite song in the album, which Mark will play for you now, Son and Daughter. I hope you enjoy it. On the Freeform Rock Podcast. Yeah. 
That was a Terrence pick, Son and Daughter. Why'd you pick that track, Terrence? Oh, Son and Daughter, written by Brian May. This song is just so fucking heavy. And this, Brian wrote this, it's just a great rocker. Dun, dun, and it has like a Led Zeppelin kind of vibe to it. The dan, dan, da, da, dan, dan, do, 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 do. Try to be a son and daughter. This song is just so amazing. You know, the riff. Brian May's lyrics, Freddie Mercury singing his ass off, and when they performed it live on the BBC, they had to edit the first course, which was, now didn't you feel surprised to find the cap just didn't fit, the world expects a man to buckle down and to shovel shit. So on the BBC versions, they had to say to buckle down and then to shovel and leave it blank. I'm like, he could have just sang shovel shit, because... I'm not a fan of censorship. You know, if you you know when I hear curses and rock back, you know, cursing and rock back in the day in the 70s was a rare thing to hear. And Freddie Mercury just singing the song as if he, you know, like his life depended on. It. And the song is just so, you know, the intricacy, the the riff, the singing. I want you to be a woman. Da, 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 da. Just everything about the song cries perfection. And then. The ending on the studio version fades out before the good shit. And the good shit is Brian May's epic guitar solo that he would do live on the Queen 2 tour and the um, Sheer Heart Attack tours, and the, uh, which are on the Live at the Rainbow CD. And you get to hear those solos in full. And Brian just shredding on his guitar for three minutes with the delays. And then the rest of the band comes back in to jam on the at the end of the solo. And then you get a reprise of Son and Daughter, which is a repeat of the first to give the song a proper ending which was sadly missing on the studio version, but the song is just so fucking awesome. I can overlook the uh, premature ending on the studio version because the song is just fucking... Uh, one of the best rockers I've ever heard by Queen. This proved they could they were doing heavy metal before metal was officially um, a music genre. Am I right, Mark? Oh, yeah. This is this is an awesome song. Kicks ass. I love Deacon's bass on this. And this, this song just goes off, man. This is a great song. I love Brian May written songs. They all write really good, man. Uh, unfortunately, Deacon didn't really write on this album because he was uh, replaced the original bass player before they recorded this album. Yep. So this is a really, I think, uh, the next album he wrote some songs. No, so, he didn't. He didn't, he didn't write till Sheer Heart Attack oh, because wow. uh, Heart he Attack. was too shy and he was afraid of... Um, I can explain about John Deacon not writing anything on the first two albums. He was too bashful to have anything because he came from a different musical background than Brian or Roger did because Roger and Brian came from Hendrix, Zeppelin, that sort of thing. And John Deacon had this more Beatles and Motown sort of background. And uh, 
Freddie Mercury loved all forms of music, including opera. And John's like, Freddie's like, hey, John, whatever you sing, whatever you write, I'll sing it. And he goes, oh, sure, I, I can't sing, Freddie. He goes, I'll sing your demos. So John would write the music, and Freddie would work with John on songs like Misfire, You're My Best Friend, and all the later things on the later albums and so forth. And, you know, because John Deacon never could sing. In fact, he rarely sang backing vocals live in the day. Sometimes it mixes uh microphone out because he was not comfortable with his uh, voice as a singer and um, and when he did sing case in point Earl's Court 77 in Houston Summit 77 his British accent was so thick he could hardly make it out and he had to sing very and he had to sing very low because uh, he could not hit the his voice his he had like the vocal range of one octave whereas the other guys could sing three or four octaves John only had the uh, that sort of one octave thing. Find me somebody to love. Find as John Deacon how he would sing that opera, that gospel section of somebody to love, with that thick British accent of his. But uh-huh. you know, John became a great writer. You know, um, you're my best friend. You and I spread your wings. Who needs you? Listen to my News of the World episode. The two songs on jazz. Hear that episode as well. The game. He wrote two songs. Both singles, I might add. Another one by Sadust and Need Your Loving Tonight. Um, one of the better songs on Hot Space Back Chat, especially when it was played live. That song was... The studio version was eh, but the live version fucking ruled. It's on Queen on Fire at the Bowl. I Want to Break Free. One Year of Love. Um, Pain is So Close to Pleasure. Uh, Friends Will Be Friends. And then on The Miracle, he wrote Rain Must Fall. And um, What's that other song? Rain Must Fall and... Uh, my baby does me, and then he wrote the B-side. Um, My life has been saved, and he, you know, when he did write songs, he made them count. You know, yeah, a lot of them were was, hits, big hits. Yeah, especially another one, Bites of Dust, <laughs> and you're my best friend. Yeah, so. yeah, my best friend was number sixteen in '76. Another one, Bites of Dust, was number one in uh, 1980, and they helped push the game album to number one in 1980. Yeah, fucking Dragon <sighs> Attack. I love that song. <laughs> Very Zeppelin-esque. Yeah, the only, you know. If you want to hear a great fight between Ian and I, listen to that episode where we fight on crazy little thing called Love in the Hole of Side 2. That's fucking perfection. Well, he doesn't like Elvis. Mm. That song is Elvis sounding. That's why. <laughs> and he didn't like uh, and he didn't like uh, Roger Taylor's two songs on the album. Oh. Well, there's, there's, um, um, if, if you ever get a chance to hear Jeremy Spencer, one of the guys from Fleetwood Mac, his first solo album, um, the last song of it, he imitates Elvis, but he goes like, but but he sounds like Elvis, but he's doing just mumbling and weird, but it's great. Thank you very much. You know, but I do have to agree with Ian that uh, Jerry Lee Lewis and uh, Chuck Berry and Little Richard were the real kings of rock and roll. I agree with that, especially Chuck Berry, the master of the riff. Yeah. All metal, Jerry, all metal came from Chuck Berry, man. <laughs> and uh, Jerry Lee Lewis brought the showmanship to rock and roll, especially knocking, uh, kicking the piano, setting it on fire, playing it with his feet, knocking the oh, chair yeah. down. Well, same thing with Little Richard, too. <laughs> yeah. Little Richard had the fucking high pitch, and Jerry Lee Lewis was like, oh, baby, oh, baby. You know, he was... Jerry Lee Lewis was the fucking killer. Yeah, he was. Too bad he was Still a pedophile, is. right? <laughs> well, already, uh, already went after the Me Too movement on a uh, earlier episode of my show. Oh, okay. 
you know, mm-hmm. like, and if they went, they attacked him, then they, you know, thankfully Jimmy Page never got caught uh, sleeping with a 14-year-old. Yeah. Mick Jagger, same thing. Rick Springfield got away with it. Glenn Hughes did, too. Don't forget them, either. Yeah. Um, Lee, what do you think of Son and Daughter? Oh, um, in fact, um, when Mark asked me um, about my three picks, I um, picked this as one of my picks, and so that tells you what I think. I feel it's a um, really interesting song. The, the words are really kind of out there that 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 in a way that I really dig and it's it's just a really hot song um I would say this is tied with my fairy queen as being one of my favorites I I I would say I can't really decide between which of those two they're both my favorites you meant to say my fairy king not my fairy queen oh (laughs) well all right, all right, yeah. Uh, well, at least it's my li- first time listening to the album. At least I didn't. At least I didn't um um call it um um um. My fairy tart. If, if 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 a picture paints a thousand words, then where can I paint you? You're all that's left me now. You're all that's loved me too. If a oh, never mind. I'm not gonna. Well, Lee's lo- looking for his fairy queen with a tucked-in shirt. Actually, yeah. <laughs> and then she can lift me up and bring me to a farm where we can eat really good food and listen to the albums that everyone else are afraid to hear. Very interesting. <laughs> funny. All right. Well, let's get into the the next track is the one that Lee picked, his last track on here, Jesus. So here's Jesus on the Freeform Rock Podcast. Then I saw him in the crowd A lot of people had gathered round him The beggar shouted, the lepers called him The old man said nothing, he just said about him Before his feet he fell Unclean, so the leper rang his bell Felt the palm of a hand touch his head Go now, go now, you're a new man instead them to Bethlehem and made it hurt throughout the land. Born was a leader of men.
Okay, that was Jesus. Why did you pick that track, Lee? Um, it's because when I when it first comes on, it doesn't seem like it's going to do much. But then when it gets going, it's this really out there, crazy kind of heavy rock thing that makes everything make sense. And and I just think it's a really well done kind of haha we surprised you kind of song. And you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I dig it. Okay, next is on the first Queen album, the penultimate track on the original album called Jesus, which Freddie Mercury wrote about the Lord and Savior himself, Jesus Christ. If you read the lyrics carefully, it's basically about him. I saw him in the crowd. A lot of people had gathered around him. The beggar shouted. The lepers called him. The old man said nothing. All going down to see the Lord Jesus. Then came a man before his feet. He fell unclean, said the leper, and rang his bell. Feel the, felt the palm of a touch his head. Go now, you're a new man instead. And it all began with the three wise men followed the star, took them to Bethlehem. You can tell Freddie was a strong believer in God with these lyrics. Oh, yeah. You know. And on top of that, he was a Zoroastrian, which was a thing, but he was a huge believer in God. And did you know, this is interesting, half of the band, half the two members of Queen that are no longer there were believers in God, and one of them was an agnostic, one was an atheist. Brian May, agnostic, Roger Taylor, atheist, Freddie Mercury, Zoroastrian, and John Deacon, Catholic. And that, it's true, because John Deacon is a strong Catholic, has been married to his wife for uh, now 43 years, the only member of the band who never cheated on his wife. Oh, wow. And he has six kids. That's, that's mind-boggling. Yeah, and, cool. gran- and many grandkids. And, um, you know, him and that's why him and Freddie were very tight. And Freddie oh. was a strong believer in God and things, and he would always say, God bless you at the end of every concert, and, you know, had spiritual overtones. And this song is a very overlooked gem on the album. But I fucking love this song. And if you uh, radical atheists don't like this song, you have no heart, no soul. I fucking love this song. Jesus rules. The Lord and Savior, Christ Almighty, God bless me. God bless you all. Lee, what do you think? Now, Mark, what do you think? Yeah, what do I think? I think this song is kick-ass. It's kind of slow in the beginning. And freaking all of a sudden it just kicks ass. and, And fucking great song. And I love the middle part comes in, and then the band is just on fire. They're just playing their asses off on this song. Fucking great song. Kicks you in the face. Kicks you in the ass. Fucking great song. Love it. And then we end the album with a a pre-version, an instrumental version of Seven Seas of Rye, which they would record a full version on the next album. This is just an instrumental taster to what to expect on Queen 2. And, um, you know... It's good to have the song develop and so forth, and this would be their first full hit the following year in 74 when it was completed in full. But this instrumental is a great taster of things to come. What do you think, guys? Yeah, I think it was cool. I, I like the full version better, and I don't know why they just didn't put Mad the Swine on there. 
<laughs> I'll explain when we get to it. Uh, what do you think, Lee? Oh, um, well, after I heard this one, I did hear the full version, and even though the full version is full, and the chord changes and all that are more fully developed, I do like the playing on this, because it sounds like they're having fun, that they know it's just a last song to just do a really quick one, two, three, go, let's do a quick jam. And so I, I, I do think it's a really catchy and interesting way to end the album. It, 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 didn't, it doesn't necessarily feel to me like it would have needed to have a full version unless they wanted it, because it, it, it did sound like a fine small instrumental way to just kick off on a good party note like okay everybody thank you for listening to the album cheers here's our last tune kind of like that excellent summation on that on the last track and when the first queen album was released in july 1973 in the uk on the 6th of july 73 and september 4th 73 here in the states the album reached a disappointing number 32 in its initial run on the British charts, first appearing late in March 74, and then the album would finally peak at number 24 in February 75 because of the success of uh, future albums. And this first Queen album reached a very respectable number 83, and that's because Queen were an unknown band at the time in America. And the hit number 83 with most people not knowing who the hell you are, that's mind-boggling. And then the album would go gold, meaning it sold over 500,000 copies at the beginning of 1977 after the success of Sheer Heart Attack, uh, News, uh, Night at the Opera, and of course Day at the Races. And uh, this album is one of their top sellers in the catalog, and Queen 2 is the only 70s album not to be certified. Whoops, spoiler. <laughs> That's okay. And now we'll talk about the song that was uh, left off of the album due to time constraints, but you can find on the 1991 U.S. remaster and on the two-CD deluxe edition of uh, the first Queen album, the song Mad the Swine. And this song is an amazing acoustic ditty. Been here before a long time ago, but this time I wear no sandals. Mad the Swine, so all you people gather and hold out your hands and praise the Lord. I walk upon the water just as before, and again, this song is about Freddie's love of uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Reading these lyrics, it just it's obvious. It's right there. You know, I walk upon the water just as before. I'll help the meek and the mild and believers and the blind. And all the creatures, great and small, let me take you to the river without a fall. You know that's about Christ, Mark, right? Yeah. From reading the lyrics. It's a great song. I have the 91 version. Yeah, I have the... I have the the remaster of 2CD Deluxe Edition. And this line was originally going to be on the debut album, Mark. It was going to be between Great King Rat and My Fairy King, but dropped due to disagreements between the band and Roy Thomas Baker over the drum sound and percussion. Well, they made a good choice then, because those two songs I can't could not see being left off this album. <laughs> and when it was released on the 1991 Hollywood Records reissue of the album, the song had been remixed by David Richards in the introductory line, um, you know, had been been here before a long time ago. Had been severely faded and cutting off the first few seconds of the song, but it's been restored on the remastered versions ever since. Because when I heard this on bootlegs, you know, years later, I was like, "Sheesh, they faded in." I'm like, thankfully on all the remastered CDs, the songs are uh, um, 
you know, bring the recording to its completion as presented here a satisfying full circle. And I love the tune. And I guess you agree with me on that one, Mark, right? Yeah, I love the tune, too. I don't know what if you've heard it. No, I haven't heard it. But I liked your version of it, Terrence. Thank you. <laughs> and what do we think of other Queen albums? Well, Queen 2 will be a future episode. It might be solo. might be a collaboration we with these guys we just don't know but i do know i'm collaborating with these guys on a future episode of pink floyd's animals which i already did with my oh. brother dr fuck on my own uh show and uh sheer heart attack you'll have to wait for my opinion on that night at the opera masterpiece day of the races masterpiece news of the world watch my review uh jazz see news of the world <laughs> Uh, I might even do redo jazz with Live Killers for that, you know, because it's going to be 40 years of the Live Killers album. So I might be doing a re-looking back at jazz for its 40th. You should get That's Greg very... Barnes on that. He has a strong opinion about Live Killers. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, him and I had uh, quite a few uh, raws about the Live Killers, when we, especially when we did jazz's uh, rock metal, uh, rock metal product central. No, uh what was that show? Oh, yeah. Uh, C-R-I-B. He was like, I fucking hate Live Killers. I'm like, I know, I know, I know. We did a Sheer Heart Attack episode with him, too, and he, he was rattling off on that, telling him, these bootlegs are better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, he also, um, then we, you know, you know my opinion of the game, Watch, watch Rock Metal Combat. Mm-hmm. Flash Gordon, eh, okay. Hot Space had its moments. The Works, love that album. I'll talk about that in the future. Uh, one of my all-time favorite bands, but I don't support the Adam Lambert uh, blasphemy uh, bullshit because Adam Lambert sounds like a Jeff Tate on crack cocaine as far as I'm concerned. Hmm. Hmm. What about Paul What's Rogers? Your, what did you think about him in Queen? He put his own stamp on it. That's why I liked it. Hmm. The, the, live con- the live albums he did. The studio album wasn't that great, but the live albums were awesome. Well, I loved all their albums except for the two that I said, Hot Space and... Uh, the uh, Flash soundtrack. I thought those were kind of... There were some good songs on both those records, but they weren't complete albums for me. Understood. And, and you, Lee, have, you have yet um, to hear more Queen, right? Um, well, um, I'll tell you that, for instance, this album is probably one of my favorites, and um, I liked what I heard a little bit of the second album, but I haven't heard a lot of it. And then... Oh, Sheer Heart Attack is probably one of my favorites. Um, there may be a song here or there that's a little, maybe not quite as good as the rest, but they're all pretty good songs. And um, Day at the Races may not be their best album, but it's perhaps, in my opinion, one of their most progressive and the most um, like conceptual. And, and, I, and I dug it. Um, at the time, it was my favorite. And um, um, Night at the Opera, uh, I, I kind of like it a little more now that I've heard it a little more, but it, it, it doesn't... I mean, it's like they kind of... Um, you know how Def Leppard did Pyromania, and that kind of sounds like everyone oh, yeah. likes it, even though I prefer High and Dry. <laughs> yeah. um, to me, Day at the Races is, is sort of like their Pyromania, whereas... Um, no, I mean, um, Night of the Opera's like their Pyromania and um, Day at the Races. It might not be their high and dry, but it's their on through the night. And and so, you know, that's sort of 
how I feel about that. And then um, News of the World, I only heard a few songs. I didn't really love what I heard, but I'm going to give that one more of a chance. The game, I didn't like all of the songs, but the songs that I did like, I used to play a lot. And so I thought it was a cool album. And then You forgot jazz. Oh, yeah, I, I, I haven't even heard jazz. Uh, oh, 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 I had jazz, and a couple of the songs um, I kind of dug, but I never really heard the whole thing. But I have to say, Mustafa's are kind of an out there and weird tune, so I kind of dig it. Even oh, though like, the, the, the words kind of irritate me, but it irritates me in a way that I like. Uh, but but um, um, let's just say this. At least you like it, unlike uh, the Ayatollah, who fucking can't stand it, called uh, Mustafa the song, the sound of Americans dying in uh, the Twin Towers on 9-11. <laughs> I love that song, Mustafa, Mustafa, yeah. Ibrahim, yeah. When they did but, that live... But he's not even, that's not even Arabic, what he's singing. He's singing his, his yeah. language from... What island was he from? Uh, Zanzibar. Yeah, it's from Zanzibar. He's singing the Zanzibar. So he's language. not singing, I've got a mustache, I've got a mustache, come to my house and... Tickle me up. I've got a mustache. I've got a mustache. No, Come to my sure, house and tickle me up. Just make sure your shirt is tucked in. And then, um, yeah. And then they they did perform Mustafa in full on the uh, jazz tour, and then they segued on the game tournament, and they segued right into Death on Two Legs. No, yeah. that's great. And and then so um, I never really heard the Flash Gordon soundtrack ever. I I might have heard a song off of it, and so um. I don't really have an opinion on it, but I'm I'm willing to hear it. And then the other albums, like I've only heard maybe a song or two here and there. And I hate the song "Under Pressure." I think it's a horrible piece of shit. So whatever song, whatever Blast album, that's, I love that uh, song. Man, that's the only song on uh, Space I like. <laughs> oh man, I loved "Life Is Real." I loved. Um the songs that were on on Final Live with the Bull more than their studio counterparts, but yeah, Cosby's kind of I mean, Yeah, but what I mean is like, yeah, um, I mean, I might force myself to hear it if I really, really need to finish hearing all of their records. And there's one album that they did, um, it might have been Made in Heaven, and I did like a couple of their songs on that. But, um, yeah, some of the but songs. I haven't, haven't heard much and then the rest i don't think i've even heard anything so i have no opinion well made in heaven um was actually songs that the band would try start on after any window finished which oh yeah some of them they did after freddie died and then um a couple of them were outtakes from albums going back to the game and then of course one was a b-side to the miracle which was re-recorded for made in heaven and then they took two of freddie mercury's solo tracks and turned them into queen songs one was uh the title track which was a just an eerie, fairy, eerie ballad of when Freddie did it alone, but when Queen put it, their stamp on it, the other three guys in the band, they yeah. turned it into a heavy power ballad. And then I Was Born to Love You had the biggest makeover. Yeah. It was a disco song on Mr. Bad Guy. Fucking oh, wow. hate that version. And then when Queen got a hold of it, they turned it into a kick-ass hard rocker. Roger Taylor's drumming on it, Brian May's guitar, John Deacon's bass, and the fucking jamming men of the band on that version. Makes me forget yeah. Mr. Bad Guy existed because, God, I, you know, I mean, I can yeah. see why uh, most of the, you know, why the 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 uh, LGBT scene liked it. Roger Taylor hated that uh, disco uh, music. I don't blame Roger, in a way. Mm. Yeah, I don't like but, disco. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it disco almost sucks. makes me want to reconsider listening to the Scat Brothers. Oh, my God. Me. That's funny. 
And um, that's, you know, it's just interesting. And that, my friends, is our look at Queen on this episode of my show here. I'm going to, you guys can record another running after this. And uh, we're going to go to album recommendations right now. And right now I am going to pick uh, a couple albums from two different bands. And one from uh, the year this album came out and another one from over eight years after it came out. And I know I said this um, to a few people, and, I, I, and this proves I don't hate Hagar, but I'm going to recommend the first Montrose album, because that album fucking rocks. You got fucking Rock the Nation, Space Station Number 5, Bad Motor Scooter, I Don't Want It. That song fucking rocks. I don't want it. You know, that was the missing link between Deep Purple and Rock and the first Van Halen album, because, you know, the first evolutions of hard rock were... The first Zeppelin album, the first Black Sabbath album, the first Deep, Pur- uh, Deep Purple and Rock, and the first Montrose album was the bridge that gapped to the later hard rock of the late 70s and stuff. Um, let's see. Um, Make It Last, and of course, Rock Candy, that riff. What a killer fucking song that is. And if you people don't like that song, you need your ears cleaned. So that's one recommendation. And the other recommendation is my favorite album from the boss, Springsteen Bruce, and the album Darkness on the Edge of Town, which will be a future episode. Hmm. And this album was Springsteen's hard rock album. I mean, thankfully he did not do Born to Run 2, because it would have been boring. So what did he do? He waited three years and put out Darkness on the Edge of Town. Like a lot of great hard rockers in this album. Badlands, Adam Marie's The Cane, uh, You'll know my opinion of that album in a few weeks' time. Mark, what do you uh, recommend for my lis- our view- listeners, viewers, whatever? I'm going to go to the first Suicidal Tendencies album. That album kicks ass. <laughs> Lee, any recommendations? Oh, yeah. The very first UFO album That's before Michael Schenker was in the group. They, they actually um, have a sound that some people don't like because they prefer the stuff Michael Schenker did with him, which I do like Michael Schenker as a guitarist, and he should have been really great, but I mean, um, in UFO, but he kind of, I think, wasn't his best in that group, but um, the first UFO album rocks pretty well, and if you like groups like 10 Years After, or maybe some kind of um like uh I'm, I'm i'm trying to well well like 10 years after and like maybe like a like a old fleetwood mac with jeremy spencer and peter green and stuff like that you'll like this because because it's it's it, it's a little more boogie heavy like kraut rock you're in a bar and listening to this get down heavy rock from 1969 and it's 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 worth it i think that was uh, before they got their Chrysalis Records deal, I believe, right? Um, <clears throat> this was um, when they, I think, might have been on Brain. In well, they were on, they were on uh, Beacon Records in the UK and Decca in. Uh, oh, oh, okay, yeah. I, I, um, I'm, I'm only, I, I mean, I know everything, but in this case, I don't know everything. So yeah. That's why the Rock Sponge was here to correct you. Yeah, man, and and. and you're the only guy who I'll allow to do that, but thank you. I don't mention it, bro. 
And before I before we say goodbye, here's some plugs for some other podcasts and radio shows. I want you cool motherfuckers to check out. Be right back. Well, folks, we've sadly run out of time on this fine episode, and I was just having a lot of great time with these guys, and I'm plugging their show now because I didn't want to do it before the plugs, but I'll do it at the very end so we save the great for last, as they say. My buddies at Freeform Rock Podcast, which, you know, Mark, you doing the show with Lee, anyone who can fill my shoes working with you, the only one I allow to do is Lee Gertzman. Right on. Thank you. Yeah, the other ones were travesties. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, Lee. I mean, until you became a permanent co-host, Lee, I had a hard time listening to some of the earlier episodes. But once you, you two, became the perfect uh, sounding board team, yeah, I tune in every week, especially to hear you oh, two yeah. bicker like brothers. Yeah. It's so fucking great to hear you two <laughs> did go. You, did Did you find some of the earlier podcasts with me and him to not be quite as good? The, when you did guest appear, yeah, I liked oh. them, but I had a hard time listening to uh, Lee Sinclair and those other oh, yeah, pluggers. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. A, that was a huge mistake. <laughs> yeah. She didn't Tor- she didn't do her homework on anything. She just went, yeah, yeah. cool, nice, what, and she liked and, uh, and Doctor Fuck warned me I didn't listen. Yeah, and on top of that, having the um, you know having her uh, have you do a Deftones record that was like blasphemy. God, I hated that. You heard me go off on that record, right? <laughs> yeah, I was like hilarious. I was one of the there few was, episodes. There was another album that um, she would have wanted us to do, and um, I was listening to the first song, and, and, well, let's just say the physical sensation that I had of hearing it was just, I, oh, no. And then so I said, well, I'll try and listen to as much as I could, but I put on so low volume that was only it was like this so that you could hear it but it was very quiet mm-hmm. and and I um um was able to stand it but um afterwards I had felt like this like negative like a depression for a few days like I was very down and I said I can't do this record and Mark agreed and <laughs> plus she was kind of like she'd say I know the group and after you do the review, I'll send it to them and plug you guys. And then after we did the review, she would say, I can't send them that stuff. They're pretty angry right now. And, you know, and, 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 and so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean. The death you know, I probably, death. <laughs> I probably would have. Yeah. Probably would have told her to go. Fi- I probably would have fired her if it was the Terrence uh-huh. and Mark thing with her. I would say, you know, the only thing I could say about this is that it reminds me of the time we banned her from the fucking show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She, she was kind of, she was lame, very lame. Yeah, she I didn't just, like. I thought a, it was he, cool having a girl on the show. That's why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it didn't work out and so forth. And hey, I mean, the early shows of uh, my venture, you know, first were. Um, I was fine on my feet, but once I started doing episodes when I'm solo, I use a voice recorder to, you know, so it's oh, just yeah. one person. And then when I do have a guest, it's got to be Skype recorded because it would be very tricky to record unless yeah. you have professional equipment. But, you know, having you guys on was a blast. We definitely will have, uh, you know, crossover uh, episodes again of this nature, yeah. which is definitely going to be... I'll have you guys back on together because why have... Lee back and Mark back. I'll have both of you yeah. back on. What the fucking hell? Because we had so much yeah. fun. And, and I might want some time to have either you or both of you on mine, but if we do that, 
I wanted to be an album that you don't know well, because in that way, you know, um, it will be like a fresh new surprise. Yeah, good idea. Yeah. Because at least on this episode, it was, you know, it was within me and Mark's comfort zone, you know? Yeah. I was able to read a book. Amen to that. <laughs> so, let's, the, let's the, the, the book was Farmer Brown, Can You Move? Let's, That's funny as all hell. Let's end the Freeform Rock podcast. I'm not going to edit any of this shit out. It's just going to be a crossover, both shows, whatever. You could do your right. you could do your editing. I don't like to edit. I just like to go. That's why it's Freeform. Uh-huh. So you're going to get, get plugs on yours. You're going to have your albums and everything. So, <laughs> And on top of that, you know what? We'll, we'll do the two endings. Okay, so Mark, you do your ending first, and I'll do my ending as well. All go right. First. This is the... Uh, thanks for listening to the Freeform Rock Podcast. Thank you, Terrence, for being on this crossover episode. From no uh, problem, you know? plug in your show, the Terrence and Friends uh, Audio Visual Visio. Uh, okay, I suck. Audio Visual Visual Podcast on YouTube. Check him out. Yep. Episode every week for you, and he does a great job on there. And also, I have plugs after the show that I already pre-recorded. And also, now we do we go into our tracks of the week. My track of the week this week is from the Nine Lives album by Aerosmith, and I think it's a very underrated song, Taste of India. Do you have a track? Uh, oh, Lee? Um, yeah. It's, um, why not? It's, it's, it's from a Czechoslovakian group called SBB, and the song is Odechci Odchod. I'll okay, give you the link to it. Yeah, just send me the it's, link. I'm not going to be able to spell that yeah. crap. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh it was, it was, um, huh, huh? It, you mean saying just, you won't like it? I, know. I just cleared my throat. I just cleared my throat. Uh, oh, I, okay. But, but it's, it's possible. It's possible he might not like it. It's possible he might like it, you know? But anyway, um, it's, I had the album back then, and, um, then I let a friend borrow it, and then, um, I didn't see him for a while, and then he kind of decided that he was going to, you know, maybe sell the album or get rid of it, and, and I asked him, well, where, where is it? And he kind of didn't want to say, um, but but it, it was one that my friend had got, my record dealer friend got from Poland, it, uh, or from Czechoslovakia. It was not available at all in the U.S., and so it, it kind of pissed me off that, um, I didn't have it, but luckily, um, with YouTube and things like that, that kind of stuff's uploaded now. Amen. And uh, since I'm a guest, I'll pick a track myself. Yeah. Uh, since from an album that turns 50 years old this uh, coming August, Sauce Full of Secrets by my favorite band in the whole world, Pink Floyd. This is a song that was not on, um, was not released as a single. But it was the last song Sid Barrett ever recorded with the band, but I love it, called Jug Band Blues. I hope you enjoy it. Jug Band Blues. Okay, so here we go out with uh, Taste of India by Aerosmith. And what's your track, Lee? Um, if I can't find it, then I'm going to just pick Aerosmith Train Kept It Rolling. But let's see if I can say SBB, Odechi Ochot. All right, and then we end with Terrence's Pink Floyd track, Jughead Blues. Jug Band Blues. Jug Band Blues. My bad. <laughs> and I suck. I'm probably going to get... <laughs> Terrence is probably going to go off on me after we stop the show. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for listening to the Freeform Rock Podcast. And until next week, have a great day.
Gotta love the sweet taste of India Lingers on the tip of my tongue Gotta love the sweet taste of India Blame it on the beat of the drum Gotta love the sweet taste of India Lingers on the tip of my tongue
Now let's get into the promos. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. I wanna rock. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. You gotta fight for your right. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. We've got Bush. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. That's right, bangers. Cold beer, hot women, loud music, and copious amounts of hairspray and spandex every Sunday, 9 p.m. Eastern. The Big Bushy Power Hour is the biggest party on that metal station.com. From New York. Hey, 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 hey! What up, bangers? From North Carolina. Skitter Pal Meow Meow. This is Bushy. And the Mountain. Tune in every week for your listening pleasure only on the plug with Bushy and the Mountain Man. You can find us on Podbean and iTunes. Thank you very much.
Ear Pillar, the podcasting and interview news site to keep up with your favorite bands or artists and the podcasts or interviews where they appear. Go to earpillar.com to find out what we're all about. You haven't listened to Mars Attacks podcast? What are you waiting for, man? Host Victor M. Ruiz brings you all types of hard rock and metal-based podcasts. You'll find everything from music-based episodes, interviews, to series such as ultra-sexy classic album series, where some of your favorite musicians, producers, journalists, and show hosts comments on the albums that push the evolutionary chains of hard rock and metal. Get with it and go to MarsAttacksRadio.com to find out more. Punch it! Get blasted! Rock and rollers, if you want a podcast that kicks a lot of ass, make sure you check out the Terrence Reardon and Friends audiovisual podcast on YouTube. Every week, yours truly looks at a different classic rock or metal album that had a major impact on my life and also in the history of rock and roll in general. And I'm usually joined by a friend or two, and I cover everything from ACDC and the Eagles to Pink Floyd to Rush to The Who and everything in between. But there is no country music, no Tim McGraw, no Garth fucking Brooks, no rap, no Wu-Tang Clan, no fucking Jay-Z on the show, because that shit is frowned upon with this rock and roll. So if you want a kick-ass rock and roll podcast, check out the Terrence Reardon and Friends Audiovisual Podcast. New episodes up every Tuesday, exclusively on YouTube. Hey, this is Lee Gerstmann, and if you like to hear some stuff that's like, you don't know what it's going to be, and even if it's stuff that I don't even know what it's going to be, check me out on what I call the Lee Gerstmann Show, and it's just me doing reviews or me doing horsing around or whatever I'm doing. Check it out, please. You have just listened to the Freeform Rock Podcast. All music played on the Freeform Rock Podcast belongs to its owner. If you like it, go out and buy it. Get your music on Amazon, iTunes, or at your local record store. Support what you love. Support the artist by seeing them live. Purchase their music. The Freeform Rock Podcast is not affiliated with any of the artists or music that we play. Thank you for listening to the Freeform Rock Podcast. We'll see you on the next episode. Until next time, stay free and rock on.